0: There's a very specific feeling that creeps up on Sundays. It can start out with a general feeling of being unsettled or restless. The anxiety grows until, boom, you've caught it. The Sunday Scaries. If this is you, I can help. My name is Dora Kamau. I'm a meditation and mindfulness teacher at Headspace and the host of a new Spotify exclusive podcast called The Sunday Scaries. Sunday Scaries is out now. Tap the banner to listen for free right here on Spotify. I don't like
1: my bedroom. A five-year-old child, who doesn't want to go to bed.
2: There's somebody in
0: there. My dad always used to say, you know, there's no such thing as ghosts. It's just the lights from the cars driving past the room, that's what you'll see, and the shadows on the wall.
1: She heads upstairs, reluctantly. On the door of her bedroom are wooden letters
0: spelling her name. Judith. You knew what you were walking into and it wasn't an empty room. She
1: opens the door. The bedroom seems so big. Her teddy bears, that should feel comforting, are now like rows of beady eyes. But the moment
0: she dreads is when the light goes off. You could feel him before you could see him. As a child that age, you hope the duvet is going to protect you.
1: Close your eyes. Count to five.
2: five.
0: Hope that he's not there tonight. And then I would turn round, and he would be stood there. Your first feeling is fear. But then when he doesn't do anything, and he does have kind eyes, and he doesn't come near you, and he doesn't try to speak to you, or tell you off, or do anything, you just accept that he's there. You never forget your first ghost. And for Judith,
1: after the first one, they just didn't stop coming.
0: I guess as time went on, it was just a case of turning over and saying hello and rolling back to sleep.
1: This is haunted. Do ghosts exist? If not, why do we see them? Episode 8, I See Dead People.
0: How do you sleep with a ghost in the room? If they appear quite frequently, you don't get much of a choice. If you want some sleep, you have to sleep sooner or later.
1: I'm Danny Robbins. This series began when I put a post on social media asking for ghost stories. Since then, a lot of people have contacted me. And I've noticed something. Many people who believe they've had a ghostly experience haven't actually seen a ghost. They've heard strange noises, caught movements out of the corner of an eye, or just had a feeling. The house never felt right. It feels like I'm being watched. So, when I meet someone who says they've actually seen a ghost, it's like Christmas. And then, I got an email from Judith. And all my Christmases came at once. Judith's not a medium or clairvoyant, and she's not religious. She lives on a quiet suburban estate, does a normal job, and, in the nicest possible way, seems very ordinary. But she believes that she has lived her whole life surrounded by the dead. To try and make sense of this, let's go back to the beginning and that room with her name on the door.
0: My bedroom was very colourful, very typically 70s, with lots of multicoloured swirls on the walls, on a background of yellow wallpaper with matching curtains.
1: Judith was five when he first appeared.
0: He wasn't threatening. He didn't do anything. He just used to stand there and and look at me. Um, But obviously, as a small child, you don't want some strange man in your room. You could see through him, but you could also see a fair bit of detail. You could see that he had a beard, you could see... He had quite kind eyes, to be honest. And what did he do? Nothing. He didn't do anything, he just used to look at me. He didn't try to speak to me, or... It was just a figure standing in the room.
1: Judith told her parents, but they didn't believe her. Kids make up stories, imaginary friends and bogeymen.
0: My dad just said, there's no such thing as ghosts. Don't be so stupid. How did you feel about that? I didn't think he was being honest.
1: But many years later, something happened that for Judith seemed to confirm the truth of what she'd seen in that house.
0: There was a man in the village who looked into the history of the people who used to live there. And I saw a photo that he'd found of the man who used to live at the house and immediately recognised him as the man who used to be in my bedroom as a small child. Joe Fluck, his name was.
1: Joe Fluck. Remember that name. For Judith, he was the start of something. Because after that initial nighttime visitor, her eyes were opened and ghosts
0: became a daily occurrence. I think as I got into my later teens and early twenties, I I did feel like there were a lot of ghosts around. I could walk down a high street and feel like ghosts were watching me. So you'd be walking down the street and you would see dead people walking towards you.
1: Yeah, there's a stigma attached to this, isn't there? Mm. Have you sometimes felt that it's your secret that you can't tell people about it?
0: I think when I was younger, I don't think I saw anything too much wrong with it because I assumed that a lot of people could do the same thing. And as I got into my later teens, moved away from home, mixed with a wider group of people, you very much realise that people will just assume you're nuts if you talk about seeing ghosts.
1: In a world with so few taboos left... Saying you have seen a ghost still has the power to shock and set you apart. By her 20s, Judith was married with two young kids, living in a tiny rural hamlet in a very old house.
0: My children were eight months and almost two at the time. We had a couple of dogs. It was a nice family home. But then... Things started to happen. Certainly in the kitchen, we started having things like the taps turning themselves on and off. There was a type of garage outside where it was locked with a padlock, but the padlock would be unlocked when you knew you'd locked it. At first, you automatically think of all the rational things. There's been a surge in pressure in the water and that's why the taps suddenly come on. A padlock unlocking itself? Well, you just convince yourself that maybe you hadn't locked it, because what is the other explanation?
1: It was as if the ghosts were warming up, getting ready to make contact. And when it came, it felt very familiar. A man in her bedroom, watching. Coming up, Judith settles into married life and the ghosts get jealous.
0: The first time I saw someone was... um, I woke up in the middle of the night and there was um, a figure stood near the end of the bed. He was quite tall, slim. I couldn't see the details on his face. And when I tried to sort of look more closely, he had like a piece of cloth over his face. It was almost like he'd picked up some sort of thin rag to put over his face. I got the impression that he, he wanted to tell me something. And he just kept looking over at the bedroom window. There were two windows in the room. One was sort of high up and relatively normal for a window. The other one was quite low down, about a foot off the floor with quite a wide windowsill. It had a metal clasp on it. And if you open the metal clasp, the the opening part of the glass went back 180 degrees. And he kept looking at me and looking over at, at this window. Um, and did that three or four times. Although it played on my mind a bit the next morning, I didn't really think too much of it.
1: Later that afternoon, Judith settled her two children for an afternoon nap. She fell asleep herself, lying on her bed, cuddling her two-year-old daughter.
0: I woke up and realised that my daughter had got out of bed. I heard her trying to climb onto the windowsill. We had been very careful to make sure the window was tied shut with a piece of rope, so I was quite confident that it was a secure knot that we'd done it with, and was about to go back off to sleep when I remembered the man stood at the end of the bed the night before, and him looking over the window, and I immediately got out of bed and went over to my daughter, who by this point was on the windowsill and was about to push against the opening part of the window, when I realised that the knot had come undone. And had she pushed on that window, she could have very easily gone down three floors onto the gravel driveway below. So you felt that
1: the ghost had saved your daughter's life?
0: Yeah. Wow. And that made him a friend. That made him welcome.
1: Over the next few months, Judith saw this figure often, always with his face veiled, Behind that piece of cloth. And then, as can sometimes happen between a woman and a man, even a dead one, the friendship developed into something more.
0: There were one or two occasions where I put some music on and was dancing around the sitting room, and on one occasion I felt like he was dancing with me.
1: So you danced with a ghost?
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: To what music?
0: Van Morrison. Oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Van Morrison, I think. I think it was. uh, uh. So what is it like dancing with a guest? Apart from the thoughts in your head, thinking, how nuts am I exactly? It felt just the same as dancing with somebody living. Did you have a sense that he was holding on to you? Yes, at one point. um, I think the stereo went on to something, a bit of a slower song. Romantic. Um... (laughs)
1: This suddenly feels like like you had quite a deep bond with this ghost. I
0: I sometimes got the impression that maybe he felt a bit like that, perhaps. I have to ask something here. Mm. How did your husband feel about this? Did you tell him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But
1: he must have felt weird about the idea of... You dancing with a ghost. Like, you know, he must have felt jealous, didn't he? No.
0: No? <laughs> I don't think so. Did, did, did he not have,
1: did, you know, because... The marriage later broke down. But the thing that I keep trying to get my head around is that, yeah. you know, if you think about these incidents as yeah. if they were a living person. Yes. You know, if you had a living person standing in your bedroom watching you. Yeah. That would feel threatening. Yes. If you had a, a living person coming in and dancing with your wife whilst you weren't there. Yes. You would be worried about that.
0: No, um, I don't think it ever crossed his mind to be jealous, no.
1: I picture Judith waltzing around the room, holding on to an amorous ghost, and it feels sweet and funny. And then I stop and think, what if these ghosts are figments of her imagination? If she was holding on to thin air? Here we are then, facing the fawny question, at the heart of Judith's story. How do you know this wasn't an imaginary friend?
0: I guess I don't. If I went and spoke to a psychiatrist and told them this, I think they might have other ideas. But I I don't know it wasn't imaginary. To all intents and purposes, I guess I didn't know. I asked sceptics
1: and a parapsychologist for their opinion on Judith's experiences. And all of them were reluctant... They were wary of talking about someone who, in Judith's own words, might be nuts. It made me realise how quick we are to label people who see the world in a different way to us. To try and dismiss what they see without asking why they see it. So, I decided to talk to somebody who might view things from a different perspective. A person trained to be non-judgmental.
2: Hello, my name's Rosalind Granger and I'm a psychotherapist and I work in London.
1: Ros lives near me and was recommended by a friend.
2: i <laughs> <And> relax, relaxed. <laughs> both feet up on the couch. Okay. Yeah, both feet. <laughs> easy, yeah. No, no, that's all right. She's fine.
1: So if somebody came to you and said that they'd spent a life surrounded by the dead, that they could see the dead, where would you start with this?
2: What I would be interested in is not so much the detail of the story, but why they felt they needed to talk about it. So is it making them feel bad in some way? Is it making them feel that nothing they say is being believed? Are they frustrated that no-one else can see the world the way they can?
1: Judith's story started in her childhood bedroom, and psychotherapists believe the key to our adult personality lies in those early years.
2: As adults, we're not expected to sleep alone. But our little kids, (laughs) three, four, five years old, all alone in big bedrooms when no-one else is asleep, to them, they're huge, echoing, scary, dark spaces. But that's exactly the age when we expect them to fend completely for themselves and a lot of them haven't got someone else in the bedroom with them.
1: Roz thinks there's a direct correlation between our childhood fear of the dark and our belief in ghosts.
2: We're very good as human beings at filling up holes, vacuums with assumptions and stories and we take comfort from all sorts of things. And it's interesting looking at children who have anxiety, who maybe struggle to articulate exactly what's going on, will often wake up terrified because night terrors, if you don't have a parent to help make sense of them, can carry on through and haunt your waking moments too.
1: Ros makes it clear that she can't psychoanalyse Judith in her absence. But she thinks there are aspects of her story that fit some well-known patterns. For instance, Judith's description of her first ghost, Joe
0: Fluck. You could see that he had a beard, you could see he had quite kind eyes, to be
2: honest. What I was really taken with with Judith's description of her, the first haunting that she has, is, is how benign and kindly and friendly this this ghost person had seen. And what I thought about it was how um, very similar he sounded to other benign, elderly, good men figures we have in, in our lives as Western children. So God figures, characters in literature, Father Christmas. She's seen this, and I'm not doubting the veracity of her story in any way. That's not what I'm here for. But she's conjured up a generic picture of niceness and I wondered if there was a reason that she might have needed that in her life to reassure her. So is he the manifestation of something that she needed that she couldn't articulate in words that she actually used the ghost to demonstrate?
1: Roz is also interested in the impact on children of not being believed.
2: It's certainly possible to imagine if your parents don't believe you about seeing ghosts, what else do they not believe you about? So if you say you're upset, scared, or in other ways hurt or need them, that, you know, maybe they're not around when you want them to be.
1: Whether real or imagined, it's hard to underestimate the effect on a small child of seeing a ghost. I think back over some of the things that Judith said about Joe Fluck. Noticing things I didn't hear first time around.
0: Your first feeling is fear. But then when he doesn't do anything and he does have kind eyes and he doesn't come near you and he doesn't try to speak to you or tell you off or do anything, you just accept that he's there.
1: A ghost who doesn't judge,
0: who listens. I think my dad was just one of those people who didn't believe.
1: But did you feel angry when he said that? Because I know... Having a five-year-old myself, if he tells me something and I say that's not true, he gets irate.
0: I think it perhaps wasn't so much the sort of environment where I would have thought being angry with my father was an option at that age.
1: In life, there is often one moment in childhood that we can look back on and see, like the minting of a coin, the adult personality being formed. And I wonder if, with Judith... It's not the appearance of the ghost, but the moment after. Telling her parents and not being believed. But Judith wasn't going to make the same mistake with her kids. The trouble is, when you listen, you might not like what you hear.
0: So this one morning, he came downstairs and I said, ''Did you sleep good?'' And he said no. The ghost kept talking to me. And I was like, oh, what did it say? And he said, they want me to come with them. They've asked me to come with them.
1: Coming up, it's time for Judith to deal with her ghosts. Before we return to Judith's story, I want to tell you about another podcast you might like. Family Ghosts. This one's not about phantoms, spirits or the paranormal. Instead, it delves into the stories of people who nonetheless haunt the lives of their relatives. Grandmothers who were secretly jewel smugglers. Mysterious uncles who led double lives. Siblings who vanished without a trace. In each episode, the host, Moth Grand Slam winner Sam Dingman, dives into a bizarre or troubling family legend and discovers a truth that is often more unsettling than the myth. You'll hear about fatal house fires, criminals on the run and even the odd theft of a grandfather's corpse. To listen to the show, just search for Family Ghosts in Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast app you use. And now... Back to haunted.
0: I think we need to talk about when it got menacing. My son had started coming downstairs in the morning. And I would always say, did you sleep good? Never, did you sleep well? Did you sleep good?
1: Her son was five now. The same age Judith had been when she saw her first ghost.
0: And sometimes he would say that the ghosts had kept him up playing in the night or talking to him, and I'd just be like, oh, did they? How did that make you feel, that the ghosts were in the room alone with him? He wasn't upset by it, so it didn't bother me at first.
1: But it must also have made you think about yourself when you were a kid and and Joe Fluck. Um, The fact that you actually... Felt frightened by the idea of being alone in a room with a ghost?
0: Yeah, no, he didn't seem frightened. I think he quite liked playing with them. So this one morning, he came downstairs and I said, did you sleep good? And he said no. The ghost kept talking to me. And I was like, oh, what did it say? And he said, they want me to come with them. They've asked me to come with them. And that was almost instant fear for me because... How would you interpret a ghost saying that they wanted a five-year-old child to come with them? To me, that was like what they needed him to die to. That frightened me.
1: The ghost in her son's room didn't come as a shock to Judith. Because she had seen him herself when she sat there reading bedtime stories
0: he would be over in the corner of the room by the fireplace, the opposite side of the room to my son's bed. And I felt he was quite a threatening presence. I felt he was quite disapproving, especially if I was loving to my son. Maybe he was from an era where, especially boys, you ruled with a rod of iron, rather than any kind of loving actions.
1: The appearance of this new spirit, with its focus on her son, changed how she felt about sharing the house with its former residents.
0: And at that point, I decided something needed to change. That it had gone too far? It had gone too far.
1: She found herself contacting some psychics. So one day, she took her dog out for a walk and left the house in the care of two people who claimed they could banish the dead. And when she came back
0: they had information for her. Firstly, about her ghostly dance partner. They said that he'd been kicked in the face by a horse and had quite a severe facial disfigurement. And when I said, oh, that's why he wouldn't let me see his face, that's why he always had a cloth covering his face, they went, oh, you've seen him.
1: The psychics also had a name for the presence in her son's room.
0: They called him... Mr Cook, they said he didn't want to go, they said he was a huge great man, hands the size of dinner plates. That's a funny expression. Hands the size of dinner plates, yeah.
1: Judith, the woman who felt she couldn't talk to people about what she saw, for fear of being judged or labelled mad, now felt vindicated. And that makes me nervous because there is a roaring trade in telling people what they want to hear. And none of this information from the psychics could ever be verified. Or could it? A few days later, Judith was in her local shop and got talking to the owner.
0: He was in his 70s. He had grown up just down the road from my house so I went into his shop and asked him quite tentatively had he known much about the history of the people who used to live there and had he known somebody called Mr Cook and he thought for a minute and he said yeah he said there was a Mr Cook he was a massive great man hands the size of dinner plates Which caused a bit of a chill down my spine, because how often do you hear that phrase? And I'd had two people who, as far as I was aware, had never met and didn't know each other, use the same description about the same man who wasn't alive. So at that moment, you felt you'd found your ghost? I did. I think the look on my face must have said it all, because the shop owner then said, you're having trouble at the house, aren't you?
1: (laughs) The shopkeeper knew that that house had a reputation.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: I can see how much this moment means to Judith, that she was finally believed. And I'm reminded of the little girl who was scared to go to bed. somebody in
2: there.
1: I don't know if Judith sees ghosts, but what I do know is that she has a different way of seeing the world. And now, she has passed that on to her children. I ask her how she feels about this.
0: I think, firstly, I didn't have a choice in it. I have taught them how to talk to ghosts. I've taught them what to do or what to say if they are frightened to ask ghosts to back off.
1: And and your son, sorry, what's your son called? Joe. Like the ghost in your bedroom?
0: I suppose it was.
1: I don't think that's a coincidence. (laughs) Joe Fluck, a ghost that solidified the more that Judith was told he did not exist. The watching figure that paved the way for the rest. Ros wonders if the problem we have with all of this is the word ghost.
2: If she had said, I saw Jesus in my room, people might think, wow, she's a young person who's going to grow up to be a priest or, or a rabbi or, a, or an imam or something. She is an obviously deeply spiritual person. When it's something that isn't religious, then it's possibly seen as something bonkers. So in certain circumstances, if you said God talks to me and God listens to me and God and I have conversations, then that can end up in you getting ordained. If it's, you know, ghosts come to me and ghosts talk to me uh, and tell me how things are, you can end up getting sectioned.
1: Ghosts scare people in more ways than one. Some people
0: would listen to what you're saying and say, that's mad. There's no doubt in my mind about what I see or what I hear. There's no doubt in my mind that ghosts exist. And I just feel that the people who don't believe are going to be quite shocked when they go, when they die, because they will realise that there are.
1: Thanks to Judith for telling me her story. If you've had a ghostly experience, we'd like to hear from you. Send an email to haunted at panoply.fm or find me on Twitter or Facebook. Thank you to everyone who subscribed, reviewed or rated the show so far. Your feedback means a lot. If you've enjoyed the show, please do spread the word. Haunted is a Chalk and Blade production for Panoply. It was written and presented by me, Danny Robbins. The producers are Ruth Barnes, Laura Sheeter and Simon Barnard. Music and sound design is by Pascal Wise. Jesse Brown painted our artwork. Special thanks to Ryan Dilley and Andy Bowers at Panoply. Until next time, sleep well.
0: your next audiobook listen, All Hallows by Christopher Golden. This supernatural thriller is eerily set on Halloween night in 1984. Family dramas are coming to a head, a neighborhood is falling apart, and four kids who don't belong show up to add a creepy level of mystery to an already unsettled scene. That's all before the real thrill and gore begin. This deadly thriller by New York Times bestselling author Christopher Golden is now available on Spotify.